This is Live On Purpose Radio, episode 505, Reprogram Your Money Mind with the wealth architect, Mark Yegi. Now is the only time to create and live the life you love. I'm Dr. Paul Jenkins, the positivity psychologist. My job is to connect you to powerful positive psychology principles that immediately upgrade your relationships, business, and mental health. Are you ready? Let's jump in. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Live On Purpose Radio. This is Dr. Paul, the shrink who expands your life with another episode of Live On Purpose Radio. And joining me today is the wealth architect himself, Mark Yegi. Welcome to the show, Mark. Thank you, Durr. It's great to be here. Great to be here (laughs) on purpose. And you slipped in the Durr part. I have to tell you guys who are listening. Mark and I met at at PodFest Expo in Orlando. It's about a month and a half ago, something like that. And uh, my name badge, instead of putting Dr. Paul, spelled D-R and then Paul, they had just put Dur, D-R. And so that's who I am, Mark. That's it. It'll always be Dur to me. I'll always be Dur. And I'll (laughs) always receive that with the warmth with which it was intended. (laughs) We've uh, we've got some fun things to talk about. Mark, the reason I invited you to join me here at Live on Purpose Radio is that we're all about getting the head straight so that everything else can can happen in a way that we prefer, in a way that we intend to, to live on purpose. Most people go through life with their programming. And I think you can appreciate this because you use this language as well. Our programming around money, for example, we get trained, taught and educated to think in ways that we don't even notice that we're doing. And that's the programming. It's kind of like speaking English, right? I was, Mm -hmm. we were programmed to speak English by people who didn't give us a choice. That's right. And there's other options. (laughs) But those other options require a choice and some some work to get there. Mark, could you share with us when it comes to, to programming? And you're in the world of, of finance and you're working with people on their mindsets around this because you have to address that first before you can get to the technical application of different strategies. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's a lot of that is accurate. And, um, and I can expound on that a bit. By saying that, you know, we're all victims of the choices that are made for us, right? And, you know, uh, when you're two, three years old, you don't have a choice of what religion you're going to be or what language, is, that's, that's a great analogy, of what language you're going to speak or what values you have, right? You go right. into life and you start to grab because you're a sponge. You start to grab whatever's around you, right? You know, you cry a little bit. Somebody puts a boob in your mouth. So you realize that that works or any, and so that, that might work for you later in life, that, that kind of thing, or you, um, you know, you get quiet and people give you attention or they don't give you attention. And so those things start to happen. And then you go to school, you're programmed by the TV, different images come at you by, you know, people that study this stuff. So they know what they're doing. Then we go to teachers, they program us in their own ways. 
maybe inadvertently, maybe consciously, unconsciously. And then our friends and family and you know loved ones are, are constantly putting ideas in our head, whether they realize it or not, because they're living their lives and they're an example for us. And so as we go through our life, especially our formative years, we end up taking on the values that are around us, right? And a lot of us don't even know that we have a choice to choose the values that we want to have, want to have in our life. So you have to be conscious. And I know you believe in this, Dr. Paul, is that you have to be conscious about what you put in your head. And when you put something in your head, consciously choose, is that going to be something that I'm going to, you know, that's going to support me? Or is it going to be something that serves me in a way that compels me to go in a different way? So those mm. are the kinds of things that I, you know, I like to bring to mind. I do it in finance, but it really is effective in any place in our life. Is we just have to decide what we want our values to be, not the ones that our parents chose for us in that environment during our formative years. Also, until we see it as a choice, it's not. That's it. Because we are programmed. So you're saying we can choose what we're going to put in there. And I would add to that also with an acknowledgement that there's already stuff in there. Yeah. And sometimes that stuff that's already in there gives you a little resistance. It's, it's kind of like um, trying to evict a bad tenant <laughs> from if, if you're renting a property to send, they don't want to leave. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And whatever thoughts and programming we already have in our head that it, sometimes those thoughts that programming will dig in its heels and give some resistance toward the new thing. It doesn't mean that the new thing is wrong. That's right. Yeah. You and I have a common friend uh, in Garrett Gunderson and Garrett's been on my show twice over the past, however many years I, I started this show in 2007. And that's when I was working with Garrett, uh, to do some live radio in the Salt Lake city market uh, my specialty psychology, his is in finance, and there's so much overlap where we have that. He wrote a book called Killing Sacred Cows. I read it. Yep. And that really, I think, exemplifies what we're talking about here, because we get these these beliefs or this programming and we hold it as sacred and we can't touch it. And sometimes we don't even know where it came from. Well, it That's came it. from our programming. Um, but it becomes sacred in our mind and we don't want to let it go. Have you found that that is true in the money space? Absolutely, it's true. And I'll give you a couple of examples. And these are examples that you you and I both know, and so does everybody listening. They tell us, I don't know who they is, but they will know who they is when I expose this, is they tell us that the American dream is to go to school, get good grades, Go to college, hopefully, uh, you know, take on some student loan debt. Doesn't matter how much it costs you because it's, you know, you got to pay it back eventually. But don't worry, you're going to make all this money with that student loan debt. And then go get a job, you know, find the right spouse, get a couple of kids, and then you can have the American dream. American dream defined all that, plus you get to buy your own home. Owning your home is the American dream. Mm. And they tell us that, and we don't question it. And so we're all programmed to go to college, to get good grades, to do all these things that we're told to do. We never question why are we doing it? Because that is not the environment that, that is fostering around us. Like, what, what? wait a minute, why am I going to school and listen to this person tell me how to learn this way? I learn a different way, but that's a different sub- subject. But mm-hmm. then we get programmed to buy that house. Now, what happens when we buy that house? More debt. Right. So now we got a college loan. We probably bought a couple of cars and we've got debt that's you know cranking away. And we've got to now 
pay debt. Now, who owns that house? Let's let's look at it from a financial perspective. The financial perspective is the bank holds the house, the loan that they gave to you. Let's say you buy a $400,000 house and you borrow $300,000. They show $300,000 as an asset on their balance sheet. Well, in double entry bookkeeping, you've got to have an offsetting entry. And so the $300,000, guess what, what side of the balance sheet it's shown on your balance sheet? It's a liability. So mm-hmm. you've got a bank that has a loan. They, they have an asset. And you've got the liability. Now, when your roof needs to get replaced, do you call the bank and have them pay, you know, buy the roof? It's their <laughs> asset. But we got to pay the 25 grand for the roof. When the air condition goes out, does the bank go, hey, I guess we better pay for that air conditioner. It's our house. Nope. You got to pay for it. So not only do you have the liability, but you've got the, you know, all the expenses, the kitchen remodel that adds to their asset is what you have to pay out of pocket. And you know what? We're devaluing the dollar so that people think that the value of their home is going up. It's not. It's the same value of the home that it's always been. It's just that the dollar is being debased before our very eyes. You know, we don't even know it. And all of a sudden, our house, we feel like, oh, our house went up in value, but our currency has been debased by 99.5%. So that's one example. Is that the American dream to get yourself into all that debt and then pay all this money so that you can service the bank's asset? Do we even think about it like that? <laughs> We're not trained and taught and educated to think about it that way. Nope. It's obvious my grandfather used to say this. He said, those who understand interest earn it. Yeah. Those who don't pay it. That's it. Yeah. And obviously the bank understands something differently about this. If they own the home, but we're paying all the bills. That's it. What a sweet deal for the bank. Well, I'm thinking also of what Robert Kiyosaki said about this, that an asset, a true asset puts money in your pocket. That's it. And a liability takes money out of your pocket. So when you look at it that way, You've just given us a different perspective, Mark, on what your home, for example, that's the example that you use. A lot of people think that their home is an asset. It's not. Yes. If if you own a home that's putting money into your pocket through rental income, that's a different story. Right. But that's uh, Kiyosaki is the one that got me thinking about this differently. He's uh, for those of you who are familiar you'll know his name immediately for those of you who aren't rich dad poor dad you'll find it immediately it's i think it's part of the required reading for your financial education absolutely absolutely it's it is and and i always say i break it down a little bit further than robert and and i think his analogy is right there's an asset there's a liability and then there's a place to live so most people look at their home as well i'm 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 building an asset well, it's not really an asset. We just went through why it's not an asset. You, if you live in a house less than seven years, you're probably going to lose money in real inflation terms, right? Inflation is yeah. going to eat away at your money. You might think you're making it, but you've had to pay mostly interest in a mortgage and you've had to put money into the house to maintain it and fix it up. Plus you paid the property taxes and the insurance. So it, it's it's generally a liability. Mm-hmm. The money's getting sucked out of your account right? You think you're building equity, but in the first seven years, you're really not building much equity. You're paying high in interest, but you need a place to live. So let's not overlook the house as a necessity. Let's not sit, let's not go crazy and have the pendulum swing too far and say, well, I don't, you know, the bald guy says that, you know, that's me. Uh, I don't need a house 
because it's a liability. No, you need a place to live. That's going to cost you, whether it's going to cost you rent or it's going to cost you a mortgage or it's going to cost you, you know, begging, borrowing and stealing to live with your parents. You got to have a place to live. So there's a cost to that. Just don't think that your house is an asset. So that's number one. And Mark, there's another thing that's kind of hidden in our conversation here that gets into our head trash or stinking thinking, whatever it is. And that is the tradition, the training, the programming is assets are good. (laughs) Liabilities are bad. And that's just programming. We're not saying that it's bad to have a liability. In fact, I think every asset includes some liability because even if you pay off the home, you still are responsible for maintenance and upkeep, even if you don't have a loan at the bank. So the liability, I like to think of it as um, the stewardship or the responsibility for the asset. And you'll notice it shows up on a balance sheet. <laughs> <laughs> nice. There's reasons for every asset has an, a, a liability yep. somewhere, somewhere. And if it's your asset, it's somebody else's liability, perhaps. Uh, and your liabilities are someone else's assets, as you pointed out in the example of the bank. Yeah. And two things that you bring up there. Um, number one, I have a saying, um, every decision in life has maintenance and consequences. So no matter what you decide, even if it's a decision not to decide, you've got maintenance and consequences. So there's the balance there. And number two, there's good debt and bad debt. So for example, if you go buy groceries and you go into debt, you're going to eat the groceries and then you still have the interest payment to make on the groceries. Okay, maybe you needed the groceries to live. But if you put it on a car and the car goes down in value, now that's called bad debt. If you put it on a on a duplex, for example, and it starts to pay you money, you wouldn't have been able to maybe buy that duplex without the debt. So that's good debt because now even with the debt, hopefully you're making some positive cash flow. So you can look at things yeah. in a lot of different ways, but you just have to go back to what we started the call with, and that's the choice. How do you choose to look at things? Are you going to be a victim of what is thrown at you, the programming of how you're supposed to think about something? Or are you going to choose to think for yourself? And you've got to clear the mind to be able to look at both sides or maybe even more than both sides of any issue. Mm. The the responsibility for our own thinking, and in my book, Mark, I break that into two words, response-ability. It's your ability to respond, which is a, a, a polar opposite from what I call a victim mentality where there's blame and it's not my fault trying to find whoever is responsible for where you are in your life. You are responsible. You are able to respond. It's kind of like when, when we're driving and we get lost in our thoughts and go right past our exit, you probably never do this, Mark. No, no, never. (laughs) I did this once. My, and my my listeners are probably really familiar with this story because I'm driving in southern Utah. I'm going to see a client of mine. I know I've missed my exit when I see the big colorful sign, Arizona welcomes you. <laughs> I love it. Crap, I'm in the wrong state, right? <laughs> and in our finances, a lot of times we'll look around ourselves and think, ah, this isn't where I wanted to be. Yeah. Right. Well, look down, see whose hands are on your steering wheel. Because it's not magic, it's not luck. There are principles, and you teach people these principles all the time. Yeah. 
they're, it's not magic, but you understand the principles, you apply those, you can change the outcomes. But it starts with the mindset. Awareness is the first step to change. And so that starts with the mindset. Uh, yes. But you have to take 100%, not 98, not 95, 100% responsibility for the, the things that happen to you in your life. And if you mm -hmm. don't, then you're constantly playing the blame game and you're not in charge of your life and you're just reacting instead of being proactive. And we all have yeah. that choice to change the way we we have uh, we we have our outcomes show up. And you know this more than uh, more than a lot of people probably. And there's there's people you ever know those people that just attract tons of bad luck into their lives. <laughs> bad like, luck. Uh -huh. Bad luck. Right. <laughs> and it's. I call them, well, I call them something else, but let's call them in this case, poop magnets, right? They, they attract <laughs> lots of poop in their life. And it's for yeah. some reason, they might be the happiest person in the world, but they're somehow making an unconscious alignment with the, the, the unattractive things to get sucked to them. And yeah. if they would just be aware, like, I know you're a big, you know, you clean your mind. That's like cleaning your teeth. If you're just aware, then you can make a conscious choice to go in a different direction. But most people just never have that awareness. Right. And until you see it as a choice, it's not because right. you'll default to your programming. That's it. Yeah. Would you, there, there's a question I've been wanting to ask you specifically around this mindset. And it has to do with scarcity versus abundance. What does that trigger for you, Mark? Where do you want to go with that? Oh man, that's so open-ended. I could go like my mind just went to like five different things. So let's <laughs> let's start with the fact that that abundance is a is a a reality that we create in our own mind. I believe that the universe is very abundant, right? There's if 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 somebody makes money in the stock market, in theory, you could say for every buyer, buyer there's a seller and somebody's loser and somebody's a winner. But I believe that the world is abundant, right? So we can create more and more abundance, right? There's, you know, can we create more love, right? Is it possible to have more love without the, at the expense of hate? I don't think you have to, you know, I think you can continue to have more and more and more love. It's an infinite pie. And that's a hard thing for a lot of people to get their mind around because they think that's a tit for tat world that we live in. But somebody that's rich means that there's got to be a bunch of people that are poor. So let's take money from the rich and give it to the poor. And then everybody's going to be the same. Right. Uh, you know what? That just triggered something for me because I work with a lot of parents. Sure. Like on our YouTube channel, we have a lot of uh, videos about positive parenting. Right. And yeah. if you've got more than one child, just test your experience with this. OK. It, I wondered this when our second child was about to be born, because the first one, it's like, oh, we're parents. You love this little stinky, weird looking Green thing. Green thing. It's coming to your life, right? You've got all this abundant love for your first child. And I remember thinking this as a psychologist. I'm, I'm thinking, huh, I wonder if I could love the second one as much, <laughs> right? Yeah. And it's not like, well, I guess I'll have to start hating the first one so I can love the second one. <laughs> the second one comes into your life. And what happens to the love? Whew. It expands. It increases. And, and it's not just a one for one either, right? You not you expand to be able to have the capacity for that love. But now there's a bunch more love floating around, yeah. right? Because there's love coming back and it, it's a multiplier effect, right? Now you have love yeah. from two beings coming back at you and and it multiplies. And what does that have to do with money, though? 
<laughs> well, the thing is with with abundance, we create the we create the cage in our mind, right? We could, you know, we think in terms of, well, the stock market's only made 9% for the last 100 years. So if I make 10, I'll be happy. Well, what if you could make 40? Boom. All of a sudden your mind expands wow. and you're like, okay, now what can I do to make 40? Well, there's people making 40. So mm -hmm. uh, there's, there's ways to do it. On the other hand, if you make decisions, so I, I have this saying, when emotions go up, intelligence goes down and vice versa. So in the stock market, it's really important because we get scarcity driven. We get FOMO, fear of missing out. So we see a stock going up and what do we want to do? We want to jump on it because we don't want to miss it, right? We want to, Bitcoin was a great example last year where Bitcoin went from 29000 to $68,000 and everybody at $68,000 was a big buyer. And now that it's back to $19,000, nobody wants to touch it, right? Mm. And so they have that FOMO at the top and then they have that hatred of it at the bottom. They're like, oh, I wouldn't touch that thing. Whereas now it's cheap and up there, it was probably pretty expensive. But it, it, I'm, I'm going a long way around to say that scarcity drives our decisions, but decisions are emotional. And I don't know about you, but I don't make my best decisions when I'm emotional, right? And I don't think most people do. So you have to rein in the emotions so you can get the intelligence to go up. And actually, your best decisions are usually made from the heart. Well, so. which is also emotional. It is. But you're you're illustrating for us. Mark, that there that there's some variability in our emotions, and I can talk as as a psychologist. I know that our subconscious, our belief systems, are grounded in strong emotion, and there's there's a dichotomy here because if you're making your decisions based on fear and hate and you know some of these things we might term a negative emotion it's going to bring about certain outcomes you know like those folks who are always experiencing bad luck right the poop magnets <laughs> as opposed to love and and joy and gratitude okay those are emotions as well sure. and they drive a very different kind of behavior and and thus bring about different outcomes. And and really it's not the woo-woo, you know, mystical thing that some people might think it is. It changes how we show up. And sure. that's what creates our results. So it's actually scientifically proven to change our biochemistry, which makes us perform right. in a different way. Right. Exactly. So it may not be that we need to eliminate the emotions from our decision-making. Maybe it's that we need to be very selective in which emotions we engage to drive our decision-making. Back to choice. Yeah. Wow. Which, the whole choice thing. There's a default, by the way, because some people, if, if you refuse to choose, that's still a choice. That's right. And it does have consequences, as you pointed out earlier. And I believe the default is down. You park your car on a hill and leave the brake off. Which direction does it go? Interesting. Right? Default is down. So Why? Why do you think so? Why do you think it's down? Easier? Gravity. Yeah. You never hear of someone falling up. 
<laughs> I think we need to pay attention to that because that is true in our psychology too. And, and what about your finances? If you ignore or pay no intentional energy to your finances, which direction do they go? That's, that's a great point. They, they, they gravitate, they, they go down the swirling funnel into zero. You're yeah. right. Yeah. Well, Mark, that's the second law of thermodynamics. Sure. It's called entropy. Things yeah. always progress toward a more disorganized state unless you apply force, intention, pressure. Yeah. Can water run uphill? No. Absolutely. Otherwise, my office would be dry. <laughs> <laughs> the sink works here, but you have to apply pipes and pressure to get that to go up. Yeah. Because given the default is always down. Now I'm geeking out about this a little bit, Mark, but I think oh, that's that, great. That's true. I think that really holds true with our mindset. Yeah. So you talk about reprogramming, right? If if the default or the already programmed um, thoughts and, and beliefs are going a certain direction, it is going to require effort for you to change the direction of that. And when people tell me, oh, this is hard, I'm like, good. Because <laughs> yeah. elevation requires effort. That's true. Yeah, that's right? potential energy moving higher. Exactly. And, you know, I think in all decision making, it's um, if you make decision from fear, and I think we're that's probably the default that you might have been talking about. I'm trying to I'm trying to wedge this into our discussion here because I think fear is what drives a lot of our decision making. And that's um that's the default programming that I think we do have. And we can't yeah. we can't operate from a from a position of fear because our brain is there to protect us. And it's 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 programmed by the limbic system that was created thousands of years ago when you know we were standing in the middle of nowhere without a without an implement and we were worried about the saber tooth tiger and the mm -hmm. ones that ran are the ones that lived and the ones that stood mm -hmm. there got mauled and they're no longer part of our DNA. No, so that them fear lunch. Is still with us what's in their lunch. Right. And so that fear is still with us. So we have it. And now we have to consciously say, is that serving us now fear can serve us or it can drive us in a different direction and we can eliminate the fear and, and move from, you know, a different, right. a different perspective. So I think fear is a big part of why it's down. I, th I think so as well. And your yeah. brain's doing what it's supposed to do. That's it. Yeah. There's two jobs, primary jobs your brain has to keep you safe and to prove you right. And they both get in our way. Yeah. They, and that's default. Okay. Your brain wants to keep you safe and it wants to prove you right. That doesn't mean that you have to keep thinking what you've been thinking. Yeah. And you can reprogram it. But remember, elevation requires effort. So effort. if we're good. You know, and that's that, that little saying that you said to prove you're right is a reason why most people lose money in the stock market, right? Is they buy yeah. something because Kramer said it was a good buy or they heard it down, you know, from their Uber driver or on a podcast. And so they go in and they jump in and they buy this stock, but they don't have yeah. any strategy. They don't have any plan. And by the way, a plan removes the emotion because it gets you gives you a set of, a set of parameters from which to act. And so if you have a plan, you have a set of rules and you follow that plan. Well, the emotions are, you know, they you were you made the plan during an unemotional time. If you just go buy something because of greed, because Kramer said it was a good buy, and now all of a sudden you're in it and you don't have a plan, what happens when the stock goes down? Because 50% of the time stocks go up, 50% right after 
you buy them, they go up or go down, right? So what do you do when it goes down too much? Most people do this, okay? And I know I'm geeking out on the money thing, but this is just, you know, human pattern behavior, which I find fascinating. Most people do this. You buy a stock at a hundred bucks, maybe it's Tesla and you think it's the greatest company in the world. And it goes from a hundred to 110. Okay. That's the positive scenario. You're going to sell it. You go, you go to the cocktail party. You go, I made 10% on my Tesla. But what happens if it goes down? It goes from 100 to 90. It goes down 10%. What do most people do? They have an emotional reaction to that. And they buy more, right? And so they're like, I like, I liked it at 100. Boy, I love it at 90. It's on sale. So they buy mm-hmm. more at 90. The problem is, in order for it go, to go back up to 100, it's got to go up 11%, not 10. Now, what happens if it goes down 50%? Most people don't have a strategy if they hold the stock down to 50. It goes from 100 to yeah. 50. Now for it to go from 50 to 100, how much percentage return does it have to have to get back to 100? It's got to go up 100%. More, how yes. many things go up 100%? Like takes years. And so if you don't kill the monster while it's small, right? If you don't nip that loss in the bud, you end up carrying that thing because of fear. You didn't want to lose because you didn't want to prove that you were wrong on the stock. And so you 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 get married to it, you stay with it, it's with you for a long time. Eventually it just goes to the bottom of the heap in your stock portfolio, and you're like, I'll never do that again, but you will. But it's because <laughs> of that, I can't prove I don't, I don't want to be wrong. I don't want to admit I'm wrong. Like yeah. I always say I'm gonna say something controversial. Is that okay? All right, bring it. So I think women are probably better traders in the market than men. Because men, I think we have this thing that we don't want to be wrong. Like we don't even stop and ask for directions a lot of time because we, you know, we think we know <laughs> some right? of those stereotypes. Yeah. So, so some of those stereotypes may have some truth in them. And women are like, I just want to find the best answer. I think women probably could be really great traders. At least the ones I know are really good if uh-huh. they can get the emotions out. But they don't have that little streak of that little chip installed that says I have to be right. They're like, oh, I'm wrong. I can sell. I know a lot of women that are really good at selling. And yeah. uh, and they 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 got they got the advantage in that case. A lot of guys do it too. But uh, anyway, I like to throw a little controversy out. You can't you can't have something without controversy these days, Dur. Right? <laughs> well, the, and uh, I've heard this many times too. How do you start a firestorm on Facebook? You post something. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> because everybody's got their attitudes and opinions. Mark, yeah. thank you for enlightening us, maybe opening up some possibilities for us. I know you provide all kinds of service and resources. Where can people go to find you or to, you've got a podcast as well. Tell us a little bit about that before we wrap up here today. Oh, well, thank you. Um, I have a podcast called the Wealth Architect Podcast. I'd love for you to be on it one day because I love the uh, the wisdom that you have around mindset. I think mindset is so critical. Oh, we'll money do it. And finance. Yes. So we should do that for sure. But it's it, it really is about how you can architect your life, right? How you can 10X your life in a lot of different ways. So it's financial structure, but it's mindset. I also talk about things like what's going on these days in Sri Lanka and Turkey and places that we've never heard of. Mm. I just went to Turkey right after I met you. I went to Turkey that like the next day. Right. I went because I'm so fascinated by money. They're having a hyperinflation problem. Their their last report was 73%. Ours came out at 9.1 or 9.3 this morning. They're at 73. Those poor people are really getting hammered. And so I, I bring to life the stories about 
what's going on in other parts of the world that can we learn from that? Can we figure out, are there opportunities, things like that? Also how to structure your own personal, uh, your own personal finances as a result of what I find in the world. And so just some of my opinions, uh, it's yeah. a lot of fun. So uh, it's called the Wealth Architect Podcast. You could find me wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Libsyn, um, you, uh, Spotify, and, and I even uh, simulcast it on YouTube as well. So thank you for that. If, there, awesome. if you're interested in finding a little bit more about what we do, I run three hedge funds, but those are um, those are closed to most investors. Uh, but but I teach you what I do in my hedge funds, and we teach people how to make reliable income. It's a program that I've created mm-hmm. called the Cash Flow Machine. It's taken me about forty years to create the program through my trial and error since I was about twelve years old. Is how long I've been trading. Yeah, and so uh, I can't even believe I said forty years, but I did. Uh, and so, <laughs> it creeps so, up yeah. on you, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> so we uh, we have a mastermind group around that where we share ideas and we invest together and and we learn together and we we have a lot of fun. We make money, we lose money, we laugh, we cry, but we've got a community of people that are all trying to change their life and transform in a in a financial way as well. But it becomes a family. Wow. So that's cashflowmachine.io. Cashflowmachine.io is where you can go to find out more about that. So, Wonderful. And if that's resonating with you you know who you are it's not for everybody but for the nope. people it's for it is totally for them yep. and then uh the wealth architect podcast mark thank you for joining us here at live on purpose radio to help us reprogram our mon- money minds that's it's been an absolute pleasure dr paul thanks for having me on been it's been fun you guys you've heard it you know it it's time to go use it let's all go live on purpose Did you get what you came for? Give yourself the gift of taking real action on what you realized today. Please share this episode with someone you know would value it. And leave us a rating too. It's time now to live on purpose.